0: Continuing our series through Matthew's gospel, here in Matthew chapter 24, we'll be looking this morning at verses 15 through 28, Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 28, continuing what is known as the Olivet Discourse, Jesus' teaching with regard to his second coming and as it relates to the nation of Israel. When Jesus was taken up bodily from the Mount of Olives, the angels there said to the disciples who were looking on, they said, don't worry, he'll come back, and he'll come back in the same way that you have seen him go. That is, he ascended bodily to the right hand of the Father, and he will descend bodily to to take the throne of his kingdom. To shatter his enemies and take the throne. And the hope of that uh, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ has been the subject of a lot of speculation uh, through the centuries, to be sure. The problem is is that uh, many, many people have failed to heed the words that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36 where he says, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone, because it is fixed in the Father's authority. He has determined that time. But that has not stopped people from offering their speculations, sometimes even their confident assertions, of when this time will be date setting date setting is a very bad idea, but it is a very uh, tempting thing to engage in. It is really tempting as one looks around and and uh, evaluates the events that are going on around us and our knowledge of scripture and to attempt to put them together in some kind of a scheme that would that would lay out a date for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many, many have engaged in it through the centuries, as I say. And, and here's just a couple of more recent ones. So, for example, uh, Herbert W. Armstrong claimed that Christ would return before he died. Herbert W. Armstrong died in 1986, he was wrong. You know that, right? He was wrong. Harold Camping is another name. Harold Camping. He said that Christ would return in 1994. And then he said in 2011. Last I recollect, he's not putting dates out anymore, but saying it's to be soon. Jerry Falwell in 1999 said, quote, probably within 10 years. Wrong. Wrong. No man knows the time. No man knows the time. It is tempting, to be sure, to try to nail it down. But we need to be restrained. We need to exercise restraint in such things. And I say this to you this morning as much as I'm saying it to myself. I need to be restrained in such things. But there are some things that we can state confidently. There are actually two things that we can state confidently. And I want to do that beginning this morning. This week and next week, two unmistakable signs of the second coming so that his people are not caught by surprise. No dates, just two signs. Signs given by Jesus himself. You remember the context here in verse 3, chapter 24. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, when will these things happen, Jesus having just foretold the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the temple. Those disciples, confused in their understanding of Old Testament prophecy and believing that the destruction of the city of Jerusalem would portend the the return of the king to crush his enemies and establish his kingdom, failing to to understand the significant gap of time that would exist between the destruction of the temple that Jesus was talking about here, which occurred in AD 70, and the future destruction that is somewhat or some time out there that no man knows but God alone. They conflated those two events, and Jesus is separating that out for them But they ask him here, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? He answers the question here in Matthew 24. He does answer their question. He gives them the sign, actually two signs, that they need to know. Two signs. The first is found in verse 15 and following and It is the sign of the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation. This is the first sign. This is an event that they can and should look for. Now, let me stop right here and, and say something. In the mystery of God, the return of Christ is, is an event that that always hangs over each and every generation. His return is fixed in time by the Father who keeps such knowledge private. But each and every generation lives with the the possibility that it could be them. And so when Jesus speaks here to these disciples, he speaks to them as though it could be them. But he speaks to them, and he speaks to the next generation, and to the next generation, and to the next generation. And he speaks ultimately to that generation of Jews alive at the time that he actually does return. The prophecy remains fresh. It remains vivid. It remains valid. Someday it will come to pass. And he says the sign that one should look for is the abomination of desolation. Verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Now you remember Daniel. We've gone over Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, he predicts a seven-year period of time called the 70th week of Daniel. During that, actually at the beginning of that seven-year period of time, that 70th week of years, the little horn, first introduced in chapter 7, signs a treaty with the nation of Israel. He establishes a covenant of peace. He becomes their supporter in the world. That's what Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 tells us. In the middle of that 70th week, at the three and a half year mark, he breaks the treaty he has signed with the nation of Israel, and he becomes their worst persecutor. His reign of terror lasts for three and a half years until he is crushed by the return of the king, by the stone cut without hands, by the Messiah, by the Son of Man who receives the kingdom in the vision in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is the prophetic scheme. Now at the midpoint there, at the three and a half year mark, and it's variously spoken of in Daniel as, as a time, a times and a half a time. It's spoken of twelve hundred and sixty days. That would be 30, forty-two months of 30 day lunar years, or, or months rather. At this midpoint, when he breaks his treaty, he sets up an image of himself in the temple in Jerusalem and demands the world worship him. At that time, the false prophet, the one energized by Satan, the one who who is capable of producing all kinds of lying signs and wonders, somehow animates this statue. So that it begins to speak. You can find this. uh, Keep your thumb in, in Matthew. We will be in Matthew. But we're also going to be a lot of other places. Go to Revelation 13 and take a look at verse 15. So you don't just have to take my word for such things. This false prophet introduced in verse 11... In verse 15, it says it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, I don't know what that exactly means. But I will hold on to that piece of information and turning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and beginning in... Verse 3, where the Apostle Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, let no one in any way deceive you. You notice the pattern of uh, be not deceived. Make sure you understand. Be cautious. There's a lot of deception surrounding such things. Satan is seeking to deceive. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. It is the day of the Lord. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. The Antichrist... The little horn foretold in Daniel 7, illustrated in Daniel 8 in the historic personage of Antiochus Epiphany, who in 167 BC did set up an idol in the Holy of Holies, a statue of Zeus and slaughtered a pig on the altar and demanded worship, defiling the temple. That as an illustration of this greater defilement to come when Antichrist himself enters into the temple in Jerusalem, establishing a statue of himself that the false prophet somehow animates so that it can speak and appears to be alive and demands all the world worship him, that is the Antichrist. Persecuting all who refuse. A persecution that consists of intense economic persecution for all who refuse the sign of the beast, 666, can neither buy nor sell. Now, a thoughtful person will ask, how can he enter into the temple when there is no temple in Jerusalem? The answer to the question is one needs to be built, and one will be built. There is a future temple to be built in Jerusalem. Antichrist temple, the tribulation temple. Not to be confused with the temple that is outlined in Ezekiel beginning in chapter 40 and running through chapter 48. That is a third temple. That is a millennial temple. That is a holy temple. It is the the resting and residing place of the messianic king when he comes to earth. No, this is a different temple. This is Antichrist's temple. This temple will be constructed. I don't know when. I suspect it will be part of the treaty that Antichrist signs with Israel at the beginning of the 70th week. I suspect it will include the permission to build this temple. But I can't be sure. Sadly, But I think, interestingly, there is a group in Jerusalem. They are called the Temple Institute. You can find them online if you Google it. I have seen it with my eyes. I have visited their museum. There at the Temple Institute in Museum, a group of very dedicated and sadly uh, misled and confused Jewish people are busily assembling all the necessities to begin temple worship again. They have the garments of the high priest. They have the the candelabra, the gold candlestick. They have the altar of incense. They have the altar of burnt offerings. They are... Convinced that when the time is right through genetic engineering, they can produce the red heifer whose ashes are necessary to, to uh, uh, sanctify these various articles so that they can enter into proper temple worship. They are even convinced they know where the Ark of the Covenant is housed. But they're not saying. Sometime, someday... In someone's lifetime, the temple will be rebuilt. The temple will be rebuilt. It is this temple that Jesus says in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 24 that will be defiled. When this temple is defiled, it is An unmistakable sign of the coming of the Lord and of the end of the age. Now I want to look at this under four headings, as it were. This sign, this abomination of desolation. I want to look first at verse 15 itself, a a devastation to dread. I'm calling it a devastation to dread. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Now that is an interesting little parenthesis. There are no parentheses in Greek. This is English. There is a question of whether let the reader understand, are Matthew's words or Jesus' words. I think they're Jesus' words. I think they're Jesus' words. They appear in Mark, Mark 13, the parallel account. They do not appear in Luke 21, but Luke 21 doesn't talk about the abomination of desolation at all. I think they're Jesus' words, and I believe what they mean is that he is encouraging People to read and study and understand Daniel. Let the reader of Daniel understand. Take seriously the prophecies of Daniel. Pay attention to Daniel. Understand Daniel. Let the reader understand. And Daniel outlines a devastating. Period of time for the nation of Israel, yet future. A devastation to dread. Secondly, a command to flee. Verses 16 through 20. When you see the desol- abomination of desolation, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. By the way, I said this some time back, but in case you missed it. This is just one of many signs or or indications here that Jesus is talking to the Jewish people. Gentiles don't care if it's on the Sabbath or not. They don't care. Run, he says. When you see this event, run. Don't turn back. Don't hesitate. Don't make provisions. Grab your bug-out bag and run. Run. Interestingly, Luke chapter 21, I won't turn you there, but in case you are come across it on your own, or Luke 21, beginning in verse 20 through 24, in which Jesus is describing the Roman Uh, siege of the city of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 and the destruction of the city, there Jesus uses similar language as well and says that when you see the army surround the city, run. And the faithful did. They fled the city of Jerusalem. They escaped the slaughter that occurred. Again, that was an illustration of what is to come. Just like the abomination of desolation in the 2nd in the century B.C. was an illustration of the greater devastation to come with Antichrist, so the Roman destruction of Jerusalem was an illustration of the greater destruction to come. When the little horn works his evil ways. Jesus gives here a command to flee, to run. But where are they to go? Where do you run? Well, it's interesting. Verse 16, Jesus says, Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And by the way, through all of this, he is is speaking to the faithful among Israel. Those who will heed and hear his words. Those who will believe the, the scriptures. I mean, those that don't believe the scriptures wouldn't wouldn't take any stock of this anyway. And in fact, those who would not believe the Scriptures will find themselves worshiping the sign of the the beast, the image of the beast. But for the faithful ones, he says, run to the mountains. Run to the mountains. Well, that doesn't exactly narrow things down a lot. But there's some additional biblical data that refer to this same event that help narrow the scope a little more. For example, turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 occurs in a section of the book of the Revelation in which John is given a series of visions that that elaborate and expand upon the second three-and-a-half-year period of the tribulation, of the 70th week of Daniel. In Revelation chapter 6, and we looked at this before, we see the breaking of the seals 1 through 6. The breaking of the sixth seal ushers, ushers in the midpoint of the tribulation. Following that, through, through uh, chapter 9, we see the sounding of the trumpets. You remember, it was seven seals. The seventh seal contained the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet contained the seven bowls. And so when, this, when the seventh seal is open, there is an acceleration of judgments that occur during this second three-and-a-half-year period. In Revelation chapter 10, verse 11, I'll just show this to you. It's, a, it's an important interpretive key to the book, so I'll just give it to you. Verse 11, Revelation chapter 10, it says, And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples, nations, and tongues, and kings. By, that, by this point in chapter 10, he has already spoken about all of the trumpets but one. And so he's way forward in the, in the tribulation, getting near to the very end period of the tribulation. And so what he does here is he circles back. And he, and he gives a revelation. He, he, uh, he's given a vision, and he writes it for us, of the two witnesses. He, he speaks about Satan's eviction in chapter 12, which is where we're going here. Satan's eviction from heaven, which occurs at the midpoint of the tribulation, and Satan's persecution of the Jewish people in the person of Antichrist. So Revelation chapter 12. Verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, and she was with child. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. What is that? You know, this is one of the problems of preaching these end-time sorts of things. It is like a bowl of spaghetti in which you pull a noodle into your mouth and begin to suck. And it's all one big, long noodle. And you keep eating and eating and eating. And so, I'm sorry, my friends, but here we are. I even uh, have uh, some notes I scratched to myself to outline the whole book of Revelation for you this morning, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) We will be hopelessly behind. What do we have here in this vision is Satan's persecution. First of the child of the woman, the woman is Israel. The child of the woman is Christ. At the midpoint of the tribulation, there is a war in heaven. Satan has access to the throne room of God, into which he he accuses us. He is the accuser of the brethren. At this point, he is evicted permanently from heaven. There is a war. And the holy angels, with Michael, defeat them and cast them to earth. Satan knows at that time his time is short, we're told here. And he begins an intense persecution of the woman. That is the Jewish people. They flee. And they flee, it says, into the wilderness. Verse 14, verse 6. To a place prepared for them. And there they are nourished supernaturally. You see this in the the flood that is poured out and the earth absorbs, you know, sucks up the flood so they're not washed away. You get the idea. They are supernaturally preserved in this wilderness place. For a time, a times, and a half a time. For 1260 days, for 42 months. The second half of the tribulation. So they must flee to the mountains, Jesus says. Revelation, John says, they flee into the wilderness. That helps us to know where the mountains might be. For the wilderness is south and east of the nation. There they go to a place that has been prepared in advance for them. And there their needs will be provided to them or for them. Daniel chapter 11 Verse 41, yep, back to Daniel, because let the reader understand, he says. Daniel chapter 11. By the way, a good working knowledge of Daniel is essential to understanding the book of Revelation. They cannot be studied apart. They have to be studied together. Chapter 11 in verse 41, now remember I told you before, in verse 36, there is, a, there is a, uh, a movement forward in time. Prior to this, in chapter 11, he's been talking about the persecution of Antiochus Epiphanes. But there's a subtle movement forward in time. Until the end of time, verse 35, you see the textual clue that he's now moved forward. He's moved, he's moved to that second prophetic peak. He's moved to the time future yet to come. When the, when the one who is greater than and more vicious than Antiochus Epiphanes, the little horn, the Antichrist, is pursuing or persecuting the people of, of Israel. In verse 36 and following, it gives some description of who the Antichrist is. And wish I had time, but we don't today. But anyway, the point I want to take you to is verse 41. He, Antichrist, will enter the beautiful land, that is Israel. And many countries will fall, but these, this is what I want you to catch, but these will be rescued out of his hand. Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. Flee to the mountains, to the wilderness prepared for you. Edom and Moab will be preserved from the conquest by the Antichrist. This is like Google Maps, where kind of... We're getting closer. We are now beginning to locate a region. It is the region of the ancient kingdom of Edom. The Edomites. They lived south and to the east of the Dead Sea. It is a wilderness. It is ruggedly mountainous. Isaiah chapter 33 adds another Piece to the puzzle Isaiah chapter thirty three verse fourteen. There's a question in the middle of verse fourteen. It says, who among us can live with the consuming fire? This is a judgment context. Verse 15, answer, he who walks righteously. That one, verse 16, will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the impregnable rock. His bread will be given to him. His water will be sure. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. The commentators are nearly unanimous in understanding this prophecy as speaking of that day, that future day, when they will see, the righteous remnant of Israel will see their king. At that time, these ones will be in a refuge in an impregnable rock fortress provided bread and water, and I think that's just speaking of provision in general, provided to them. And they will be rescued by their king. An impregnable rock fortress. There is one other prophecy in Micah. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Onodiah, Jonah, Micah. Micah. Micah chapter 2 and verse 12. This is an interesting scripture. Not everyone is united on how to understand this. I'll give it to you. And then I'll hopefully tie a bow around this. The prophet writes, I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. So this is speaking of a time when, when the Messiah says, I will gather together the divided kingdom. I will bring the people of God, the remnant of God, together. That is the, the faithful Jews, the believing Jews. I, I, I'm convinced that this is the Romans 11.26. All Israel will be saved. Paul says in Romans 11.26. I believe that's what he's talking about, is this group here. I will put them together like sheep in a fold like a flock in the midst of its pasture, and they will be noisy with men. It'll be crowded in that sheepfold, he's basically saying. Now, here's the interesting thing. The the Hebrew word here, translated uh, fold, is the word basra. And, in fact, the King James, uh, in translating this, says that I will put them together like sheep in basra. Basra is a particular area of Edom. When you put all this together, they flee to the mountains, they flee to the wilderness, God provides for them. Edom and Moab will be passed over, defended. They will be in an impregnable rock where God will provide for their needs. If it is Basra... This is what has given rise to the persistent notion that we are talking about the ancient fortified fortified city of Petra. Petra. Maybe you have heard this before. That the Jews will flee to Petra. There in Petra, they will be protected from the wrath of the Antichrist for three and a half years, supernaturally provided for by God. Petra, the ancient mountain kingdom lay impregnably in a valley in the midst of the mountains. There is a picture, by the way, of the ruins of Petra. There is only one way in and one way out. It's through a very narrow mountain pass. I believe it gets as narrow as six feet at one place. Surrounded by very high cliffs. And it's, a, it's an open area. It's a bowl. It's like a sheep pen. And there are all kinds of ruins there of, of houses and, and ancient temples and things like that. Now, I can't prove it. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting. But this is where that notion... if you have ever heard this? Where does Petra fit in? This is how Petra fits in. By the way, just a, as a side note, because it's of interest to me, so I'm going to tell you that, uh, that some very sincere Bible-believing Christians through the years, having placed, put these clues together, what they believe, lead them to Petra as the place, have gone ahead... And um, and this uh, uh, how do I want to say this? Um, in the in the late 19th century, there was a there was a uh, a traveling evangelist who took eight thousand dollars of his own money in the late 1800s. Now, eight thousand dollars in the late 1800s—that's some serious money. And he purchased Bibles, New Testaments, Jewish tracts had them all bound in, in waterproof materials, had them shipped to Israel and taken into Petra and hid among the ruins in Petra. In 1938, another missionary, a Jewish missionary traveled there and found those packages. They were still there in 1938. I don't know about. So when they filmed the, you know, the Raiders of the Lost Ark and that part was there at Petra, I have no idea whether the film crew found them or not. Don't know. But it is interesting. The people took this seriously. They invested. Petra. Run. That's the big point. Run. Third, a promise to relieve. Back to Matthew. I think there's something wrong with the clock up here. It seems to be going too fast. Verses 21 and 22, a promise to relieve. Run, pray. Verse 21, why? For there will be a great tribulation. Such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been, past tense, cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be, future tense, cut short. Why must they run? Because of the severity of the persecution. That's why they must run. Because it will be unlike any persecution that the people of Israel have ever faced in all of their long history. Now that is hard to fathom. Knowing the history of the 20th century and the incredible horrors of the Holocaust. It is an inconceivable horror that we are talking about. A devastation that Jesus says will be unlike anything ever was or ever will be. According to Zechariah chapter 13 verses 8 and 9, just write it down, two-thirds of the people of Israel will be butchered. Two-thirds. One-third will survive. One-third. These are the days, according to Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7, of Jacob's trouble. These are the days, well, it's worth it to to just go there for a moment, go to Jeremiah, get get the sense of the agony of this. Jeremiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 4. Now these are the words which the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace. Ask now and see if a man can give birth. Well, he can't. But then why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in childbirth? And why have all faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great, there is none like it. It is the time of Jacob's distress. But he will be saved from it. It is a time so brutal, so agonizing, so fearful, that men will act as if they are on the verge of giving birth. But look at this promise. Those days had been cut short. They had been cut short. What does that mean to be cut short? It has the idea of limited. The idea of curtailed. Cut short from what? I think the answer is cut short from what Antichrist planned. He planned to exterminate the people of Israel. And if he had been allowed more time, he would have succeeded. But those days were cut short. Back to Daniel again. Chapter 12. And verse 7. I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finished shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. Drop down to verse 11. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. It's thirty days difference between the twelve hundred and sixty. If you are curious, and I will just tell you this and elaborate it later. I think the additional thirty days is to make room for what happens in Matthew twenty-five verses thirty-one to the end of the chapter. But we'll look at that in turn. You see the point. God decreed a period of time, a time, a times and a half a time, forty-two months, twelve hundred and sixty. Ninety, if you like it, days. That decree occurred in the secret council of God. It's a fact. It's a reality. Revelation chapter 12. Just to be reminded of it again. Verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Who cut the days short? Talk to me. Who cut the days short? God. God cut the days short. It's part of His eternal plan. Because if He hadn't, no one would survive. No life on this planet would survive. And why did he do it? Verse 22. For the sake of the elect. For the sake of the elect. For the sake of the remnant of the sons of Jacob. For the sake of the faithful Jews. Those whom he will bring into the new covenant. Jeremiah 31. A promise to relieve the horror. Finally, a warning to wait. Verse 23, a warning to wait. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So, if they say to you, Behold, he is, out, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning flashes from the east, or excuse me, just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Antichrist will seek to draw out the people of God who are in hiding. They will hear. Messiah has returned. He's out in the wilderness. Come see. Messiah is here. He's in the city. Come see. And Jesus warns them and says, Do not leave the place where I have put you. Wait until I come and get you. At the end of the time, times and half a time. False Christs, false prophets... Great signs and wonders. Very interesting, huh? Great signs and wonders. Turn again to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's get a little flavor for what we're talking about here. Verse 9. We'll pick it up in verse 8. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they would believe what his faults in order that they may all be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. God will send a spirit of delusion upon the world during these days that all those who have refused his son will fall in with the faults and lying signs and wonders of the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 13. Verse 13, the false prophet, what we have is an unholy trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Verse 13, he, that is a false prophet, performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead and on he goes. Turn back to chapter 9 of Revelation. Verse 20. The break of the sounding of the sixth trumpet. Again, you realize we are a good bit through the second half of the tribulation. Sounding of the seven trumpets unleashes the seven bowls which come like this and shatter the kingdom of Antichrist. What I want you to see beginning in verse 20, after all of this Awful judgment has been falling upon the world. And it says, verse 20, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. In the presence of the incredible judgments of God poured out on them, they refused repent, So God sends a deluding influence upon them and they believe the false and lying signs pointing to the Antichrist as the deliverer of the world. Jesus, Matthew chapter 24, back there. Jesus is warning the generation of Jewish believers alive at the time that they are in hiding. Stay hidden until I come get you. Zechariah chapter 12 speaks of that reality, that Jesus will go forth. We often think that Jesus descends first to the Mount of Olives. Actually, I think when we put the text together, he comes to the Mount of Olives from gathering his people who are in Edom the fight begins in the countryside and then he comes to the city to deliver and then he ascends the mount of olives and then the mount of olives shatters in an earthquake moving east and or excuse me north and south and the people flee the city as it is collapsing through the gap that's opened in the mount of olives i think that's the chronology stay in hiding don't come out you will know Verses 27 and 28. When I come, it will be obvious to all. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. The parousia, the the appearing of the Son of Man. It will be like a bolt of lightning flashing in the sky. You will not miss it. You will not miss it. And when we next week go to verses 29 to 31, you will see why you will not miss it. Because the sky, the heavens will be entirely black. And then the sign of the Son of Man will come and light them up. So just like you can't miss the lightning, you won't miss this. Second analogy, verse 28. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. You've all seen a western, right? The vultures are circling, right? Because why? There's something dead or dying. That's all it is. Just a proverb. Just a proverb. It'll be as obvious as a, as a flock of vultures circling a dead corpse. You can't miss it. You can't miss it. All right. That's enough. That's enough. Giving you a lot to process this morning, a lot the process. May God give us grace to think, study, to pray, to question, to compare, passage to passage, verse to verse. I don't know about you, beloved, but this week has been a fabulous week for me in a study. It's been a hard week. I, you should have seen my office. man. I had books open and stacked like all the way around my desk and I'm going from here to here and, you know, several Bible translations open and just Back and forth. Why? Because I want to put the pieces together. Let the reader understand, Jesus says. I find in that hope that we can understand if we'll apply ourselves to it. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for your word. It is an inexhaustible treasure of truth revealing your mind for us. Oh, Lord, the world is an uncertain place, to be sure, and the headlines are, are unnerving at times. But, our Father, we know whom we have believed, and we know that you are faithful to secure our souls to the very end. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Restore peace to Jerusalem. Amen. Amen.